This is the podcast for Woodland Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. We hope you enjoy the message, and if you'd like to learn more about our church, look us up at woodlandpres.org. Thanks so much. May the Lord bless you. I I lived in Vail, Colorado after I got out of college, so I kind of know how to get down the mountain. But man, it had been a a really long time. And one of the things that I I just forgot about uh, when I went skiing is how many things you have to get ready for before you even leave to go to get on the mountain, right? You have to look at the temperature and to make an assessment of how many layers do I want on. I'm wearing ski pants. Do I need to wear long underwear? Is it, is it that cold out? Am I going to put a t-shirt on and a long sleeve shirt and a jacket on, or am I just going to wear a short sleeve t-shirt and a jacket because is it hot or is it going to be cold? Because it's cold, but when you get going, sometimes you get warm and you don't want to be too hot. Now then you've got to think through what kind of cloth am I going to put on my head? And back when I was skiing, back in the old days, nobody wore helmets, but now everybody's wearing a helmet. So you got to put a helmet on. I got a big head and it doesn't fit always great in the helmet, so you have to have something for your head to keep it warm, but not too warm. Is it going to cover your face? Is it a hat and a helmet? And then the right kind of goggles. You need some sunglasses, too, because if you want to take a break and get some lunch, it's bright out there, so you have to have your goggles and glasses. And then you need sunscreen for your nose, lip balm, right? You need your lift pass. You need your wallet. Where are you going to put your wallet? Maybe take a credit card. All these different things. What kind of gloves? How cold is it? And then you got to have your boots and your skis and your poles. And all, it's a lot of things to think about what you're going to put on so that you can have the most optimal day on the mountain. And we had some optimal days on the mountain. It was super fun. Super fun. But think about all the things you got to do to get ready just to get up in the morning and to get going. And, and so imagine if uh, when you wake up in the morning, Right, you spend some time getting ready, and you have to think about, what am I doing today? What's the appropriate clothing that I'm going to put on today? Because if I don't wear the right clothing for the day, I uh, may not be as productive or as effective as I'm supposed to be. Right? If it's Saturday, and you're going to get up and maybe work in the yard, you want to wear the appropriate clothing for working in the yard. But if it's Sunday morning, you're going to put on your suit, you're going to get dressed up, or Monday, what do you wear? Now, but think about this. Some occupations... You have to wear a certain uniform, right? If you're, if you're in medicine, if you're a doctor or a nurse, you wear scrubs or something like that. And if you work in certain units in the hospital, you have to wear extra protective um, PPE. We were all introduced to that term, personal protective equipment. And you've got to put the thing down and all that stuff, right? That's extra. What if you're in law enforcement? Right? Not only do you, do you wear your clothing, but then you've got your utility belt with your weapon, your walkie-talkie. What if you're a soldier, Right, if you've seen any videos from this war going on in Ukraine, you look at the guys running around with the stuff, the rockets on their shoulder, and they've got all this gear. Why? Because they want to be ready for what they're going to face in the day. What you put on is really vitally important for how it's going to impact your life. And obviously, if you're going snow skiing, it's one kind of experience. But if you're going to work in law enforcement or as a soldier, it's a different kind of experience. But the point is, it's important. You have to have careful consideration of what you're going to put on in the morning when you wake up. In this section, Paul, at the end of this chapter, finishes with this powerful statement that says that what we put on dramatically affects how our 
day will go, how we're able to do what we're called to do. If we wake up and we put on the wrong thing, we won't be prepared to meet the challenges that God presents to us or the opportunities that God presents to us. And additionally, you know, Paul is challenging us, what does it say, to wake up in the first place. He says in verse 11, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. Right? He's challenging us to remember, to know that we are in a situation that requires us to be awake. Now, he's not talking about physically waking up. He's not saying, open your eyes and be conscious. What's he doing? He's talking about a spiritual reality that, that we need to wake up about the world that we live in and the role that we have in that world. We have to be attuned to what's going on. We have to know that we're involved in a life and death battle. It's a life and death battle, not for our physical lives today necessarily, but for the spirit, our spiritual lives and the spiritual lives of our children and our grandchildren and our communities. There's this battle, and he uses this imagery of light and dark, Right? Those represent, uh, in, in, in the scriptures, the light represents God and his goodness, and the dark represents sin, brokenness, and the evil one. And Paul is just presenting this to us. Remember, this is in light of all that he's taught to us about, uh, about how we are justified by faith, that we're in relationship with God, that we're his because of what he's done. In light of that, now, what does this mean for us? You've got to wake up, is what he's saying. Uh, there's a great movie that came out like 20 years ago. It's called The Matrix. And if you've seen that, you, you know the, the general premise of the story. But basically, it's the story of a guy who's been presented an opportunity to wake up. But see, the problem is he doesn't even know that he's asleep. Everybody thinks they're alive and going about their daily business but it's because they're all connected to this thing called the matrix, which is a massive computer that's using every person as energy to power machines. All the people are asleep in these pods, but they think they're alive. So how many of us are like living in the matrix? We think we're alive. We think we're operating, but we're, there's this whole other world, this spiritual realm that we're not really attuned to, all these things that God is doing, the spiritual forces that are against God are fighting and battling all around the world, and we're not even aware of it. Paul is saying, wake up. So that's the call that he gives to us. I'm going to share with you the call, the response, and the power. The call, the response, and the power. So the call is to wake up. He says, besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake up. Get up. See what's going on in the world. Stop your slumber. Stop your sleep. Are you just dozing through life thinking that there's the only thing that's going on is what you can see with your eyes and touch with your hands? Are you not aware that there are spiritual realities at work in your life in the world? Are you just going along doing what you're doing? You know that phrase that's popular these days, YOLO? You only live once, right? And the general sentiment of YOLO is, hey, you're only going to live one time, so you might as well do whatever it is you want to do to make your life feel great. Now, I agree with the phrase YOLO, but I have a different approach and definition to what it should be about. Because I say, hey, you only live once. 
You only have one opportunity to make a difference for the kingdom today. You only have one life to live. And the question is, believer, Christian, brother, sister, what are you going to do with your life? Do you want to just go through the motions, dozing through life, sleepwalking, and thinking about what the world thinks about, valuing what the world values? Or do you want to be attuned to what God is doing? Entering into the Holy Spirit and the realm of God's angels and his work in the world. Are you interested and open to being used by God for something greater, for something more significant? YOLO. Are you open to doing something that matters not only for this life, but the life to come? Are we willing to to think about that which will last longer than us? And that's a challenge in our world. Because most of what we were being communicated um, with, with uh, marketing companies and other people is focus on the here and now. Get what you can get for this life and don't worry about the life to come. Are we willing to, instead of just accumulating more things, invest our lives into someone else? Instead of taking more trips, are we willing to take more risks for the sake of the kingdom? To really listen to what God is saying and to to do what he's asking us. He goes on, for salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. Salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. Here's the thing I think that Paul is saying. Time is running out. Time is running out because you are closer to salvation than you were before. What does that mean? You're closer to death today than you were yesterday. You only have so many days. Right? And I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I'm attuned to the fact that I only have so much time left. Whenever I see a, a famous person who, who dies, I think, wow, there was this guy who's a commentator in the NFL. His name's John Clayton. I'm like, man, 67. He just died. That doesn't seem very old. It's not, exactly. That's right. Some of you whippersnappers are like, man, come on, that is old. But I tell you what, you know, what are you going to do with your life? What do you want it to be about? And here's the deal. You don't have to be five just to answer that question. You can be 85 and say, I've got five to ten more years that I can make a difference in this world, that I can invest the spirit, I can invest in my own growth in Jesus Christ to make a difference in the people who are around me, in my family, my grandkids, my great-grandkids, my community, the city, the world that I live in. I can make a difference in that. Time is running out. Here's a question for you that's challenging. It's challenged me when I thought of it. Did you use yesterday in a way that God was honored? Would God look down at your yesterday and go, way to go, excellent day. You only had one chance at it and you nailed it. Or would he look at yesterday and go, oh, come on. Now he's not gonna love me less if I didn't use it for his sake, but he gave it to me. Did I use it? What about today? What are you going to do with today? You're here. That's good. Are you going to pray? Are you going to read the Bible? Are you going to rededicate your life to following Jesus? Are you going to think about what is the most important thing that I should be doing? Are you going to serve others? And I'm not just talking about like these big giant things like, hey, I'm going to move my family from here to another country and doing something monumental. If you feel called to do that, that's awesome. And I want to encourage you in that. But to think through, what's in the mundane can I do? How can I serve my wife? 
How can I love my husband? How can I care for my aunts, my uncles, my nieces, my nephews, my neighbors? Do I know my neighbors well enough to be able to say, how's it going today? And to be in relationship with them. The simple and small things, they are a blessing. There's this powerful scene. All my movie references are from like 25 years ago. That's when I stopped watching movies. Um, Schindler's List. Right? You've seen that movie. It's about a man named Oscar Schindler uh, who uh, was reluctantly um, began creating space in his business for Jews who were being persecuted by the Nazis. Uh, he really did it at the beginning kind of to help his own business, but then he began to realize over time that the Jews were being significantly persecuted, and so he began taking people in and using them in his company, and he began essentially saving their lives, and there's this really powerful scene at the end of the film when he, um, he comes out to the tracks, and there's just like a thousand Jewish people that are there, and they take off their hat, and they offer him a ring that's made of gold. And it says in Hebrew, whoever saves a life saves the world. And he looks at the ring and he says, if I had sold this ring, we could have saved more. We, we should have saved more because even in all the service that he gave to those essentially 1,300 people, he realized there's more that he could have done. And I think about my own life and I go, like, what, God, are you asking me to do right now? This call that you've given to me. Am I using my gifts and my talents and my abilities and my sense of humor and whatever mediocre gifts you've given to me to, to leverage for your kingdom? Because Oscar Schindler reluctantly got into the business of saving Jews and he saved 1,300. Imagine the generational power that that has. People are still alive today because of his willingness to enter into that. And here's the thing. This is the call that we've been given. We live in a, in a battlefront time. I mean, just look around the culture. The challenges that we face. What if every person here said, yes, Lord, today I'm going to use it for your sake in a monumental way and or in a mundane way? What's the one thing that God is calling you to do. It could be as simple as, as signing up to serve, of starting a ministry, of reaching out to someone, of, of calling someone in your family that you have a broken relationship with. What's that thing? That's the beginning of something. That's the call. You see, Paul says, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. We're living in this moment of the dawn, friends. We should be excited and passionate and interested in addressing the problems of the world because we know Jesus. We have the answer. We have to be asking the right questions. We have to be living out our faith in meaningful ways, but we have the most glorious answer that there is. We should not be discouraged. We should not be defeated. We should not be depressed, even though we feel discouraged, defeated, and depressed sometimes. We are called to live into the good news of the gospel because we've got Jesus and we've got each other. And that's wonderful. So this is the call, is to wake up. What's the response? The next section, Paul then says, so let us then. He shares with us that we need to wake up. And then he says, so then let us. And he gives us these next statements. 
Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. Paul is encouraging us to walk in the light. I shared earlier that he uses this powerful image about what does it mean to, to live in the light. You know, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all, the Bible says. So when the scriptures talk about the light, they're meaning a life in Christ, a life in God, in accord with his, with his character and with his, with his word. And he is saying to us that we are to cast off the works of darkness, cast off the works of darkness, and to put on the armor of light. Right? We, we see this powerful sim, symbolism. So what does it mean to cast off the works of darkness? How, how do we do that? Well, how do we know what they are? How do you know what, the, what, what they are or they aren't? Right? Because, so for example, the situation that's going on between Russia and Ukraine. Right? From our vantage point, many people see it's an invasion of Russia into a democratic country with bombs on maternity wards and say, that's evil. But someone else might say, hey, well, you know, um, this, is our, this is my country land. This is really our homeland, and we, we have right to this land, and God gave it to us. And even though it's going to cause problems for some of the people who get hurt when we go in to take what's rightfully ours, it's worth it because God gave it to us. And even though there's going to be some suffering that goes on, in the end, we will bring them back into the fold, into our understanding of what the church is in our land. And that's what's being said from the other point of view. So which one's evil? How do we know which one is evil? Well, I think the Bible teaches us that murder and destruction and violence is evil. And so I'm on the side of those who would say, we're going to let people decide for themselves what kind of government they want to have, and we're going to seek to push back those who would enforce themselves on other people. But I'm just saying to you, how do we know what's good or evil? And this is in a situation that seems pretty obvious to me. But how much in our world are there places where it's not obvious? Because we live in a world now where what, was, what made sense to us now doesn't make sense anymore. You just look at the scope of our culture. And what is wrong has now become right, and what was right has now become wrong. And so how do we as followers of Jesus know what to do or how to do it? Well, we've got to know the Word of God. We've got to study the Scriptures with the Spirit in community so that we can be a voice for Jesus in the world. A loving word of hope. But how do we know what the word says? Well, we've got to open it, right? And, you know, it's easier to go home today and just get this out and just scroll. It's a lot easier because it's just on to the next subject. Who won the game? Sorry, Memphis. Who, uh, it's a tough game. Who, who, who won the game? Or, or what's the wordle? Did you do the wordle? Everybody got the wordle, Right? How many people do the Wordle? Raise your hand if you do the Wordle. Good for you. I do it too. But, right, and that's fine. I'm not saying the Wordle's bad, but like, oh, I've got to do this puzzle and that puzzle. Right? Am, I, am I spending time in the Word? Look at your phone. It's a great thing. But spend time in the Word, in community, studying, reflecting, considering, so that we'll know what the difference between the darkness and the light actually is. And he gives us more examples here. Let us walk 
Not in orgies and drunkenness, sexual immorality and sensuality. He's giving us now specific guidance on what it means to be faithful. Now remember, the Romans lived in a culture that was over-sexualized, right? They were pagans. They did not have 2,000 years of biblical history in their lives to order and define for them what it meant to live a sexually faithful life, right? And so for us now, we have had 2,000 years, but we can see how the culture is beginning to shift and change on those issues, on those matters, and saying, well, that way is old-fashioned. That's the old way of doing things. Let's do things in a new way. And so for us as as people of the book, we have to say, well, how do I uh, live faithfully and represent the biblical values in this world in a culture that is broken sexually in a loving and gracious way? Acknowledgement that, that I'm not a perfect person, that I don't have all the answers, but that the word of God does. And so that as we humbly seek to put ourselves at the feet of the word, then we want to live that out in a gracious and loving way. How do we do that? Well, Paul just gives us these examples. Not in orgies and drunkenness or sexual morality and sensuality. Notice that that, um, Paul here, although he does this elsewhere, but in this situation, he's not picking out one kind of sexual sin as the bad one. There's been a tendency in the church, in in the Christian faith, is to say, well, homosexuality is the bad sin, and all the rest of the kind we'll just tolerate. It's not a big deal. But he's not doing that here. He's saying sexual immorality and sensuality. That means of any kind, whether it's fornication or it's adultery, whatever it is, we're called to live in the light. And that's going to touch every person's heart in a different way. Every person who needs to walk in the fullness and faithfulness of Jesus' command to love each other. And those are some challenging things for the culture that we live in, and especially for us as we seek to bear witness to that. Because it's unpopular. A biblical sexual ethic is increasingly unpopular. I heard a story about a guy, he's a pastor, and he was telling this story. He grew up, he's about 10 years younger than me, and so he was saying, I grew up in the 90s in the church, and my dad was a pastor, and when I was growing up... um, I had a lot of friends. He grew up in Portland, Oregon, which is a more progressive uh, city. And he said, you know, I had uh, chosen to, be, uh, to abstain from sex until marriage. And I had a lot of friends who, um, who didn't. They did not want to have that pattern and practice in their life. But they looked at my life and they knew that's the right thing. John Mark is doing the right thing. And we're doing the wrong thing because we're exploring these other paths. But he said, now it's very different because if you say, this is what I believe the biblical sexual ethic is, you're doing two things. You're being repressive and you're being oppressive. And both of those things are immoral. So 30 years ago, John Mark was considered to be the moral person and his friends were the immoral people. But now it's immoral to oppress someone by saying, you shouldn't do that. That's oppression. And repression is not just giving in to your every desire. And so in our culture today, in increasing measure, that's the immoral position to have. And it's a challenging thing. So how do we as believers enter into the world and to say, look, this is what we believe the Bible teaches, and we're not getting this perfectly across the church or even in our own lives, but we're wanting to lift this up as the standard that God has, not just the right thing, but the thing that leads to flourishing, the thing that builds families, the thing that encourages the whole culture. And that's a challenging thing to do. It's a challenging thing to do. And part of that means 
having healthy biblical marriages in the church. So one thing, here's an assignment for you, if you're married, develop and cultivate your marriage. Take time for your marriage to encourage it to grow and to flourish and to be an example and a witness. If you have a healthy marriage, invite someone who's not married into your community life. Invite a person who's single to experience the fellowship and the family of the church. If you know a person who is, is no longer married or whose husband or wife is deceased, invite that person into family, right? The church is not just for you know, upper middle class white people who have 2.5 kids and a dog. It's diverse. It's all of us together in family. And then when we love each other, that's a way that we can build the kingdom of God. We can demonstrate to the world that, that marriages are important, but also connecting in inter, uh, interconnected ways with people who aren't married. That's so vital. And we can do that. We have each other. Then he also says, not in quarreling and jealousy. It's interesting that he goes from like, uh, no drunken orgies and sexual licentiousness, this whole category, to no quarreling. How many of us this week have been in some kind of quarrel. Don't raise your hand. One person did. Honest, no. Like, we've all been in a quarrel, right? And this is something I, I was thinking about. What is a quarrel? It's, it's a dispute about something that's not that important. Not to say that your feelings aren't important or the issue isn't important, but when you get down to it, a quarrel is not a major life consequence of eternal proportions. It's a disagreement about something that can lead to frustration or challenge or difficulty. Right? Where are we going to go out to eat? Well, we, you never say anything about where we're going to go to eat. We just get in the car and you go, I don't care. And then when we get there, you always care. <laughs> and that conversation has never been had anywhere in this room. Right? But like in the end, what we eat is, is not as important as being in a relationship with each other. Right? Our relationship with God and each other is the most important thing. And so, yeah, disagreements are going to exist. But if we focus on quarreling and we're getting... Because see, what happens to quarreling, it leads to um, division. It leads to bitterness. And it leads to us going, you know what? She never really understands where I'm coming from. She doesn't understand me. Or he's always this way. I can't deal with him because he's always like this. If you're ever saying never always, every time, you're in trouble, right? Don't do that. But then it makes us step farther apart and our relationships are broken and then we end up just going, oh, that person's not only, first they're, um, they're wrong and then they're just dumb. They're just dumb. They're stupid. Come on. Uh, and then they're, uh, they're crazy. He's crazy. That's just crazy. And then he's evil evil. You see the progression, right? And we've done that. Those people are crazy. Those people. And that's just from quarreling. We have a dispute about something that's not as important as the ultimate things, our relationship with God and each other, and we make it a bigger thing. And Paul is saying, look, you want to change the world? Stop quarreling. How do you stop quarreling? Put Jesus first. Put Jesus first in your relationships, and you'll see that, whoa, you know, I think, wow, What's more important to me than whether or not we go to this or that restaurant is my family, my community, and Jesus. And that can happen in every kind of situation. 
So that's the, that's the call and that's the response. So then how do we even do this? Right? Because I can just sit here and say, hey, be better at all of this stuff. Just be a better person today and go out there and God bless you. Go out there and be your best Christian you can possibly be. Go for it. But then what do we feel? We feel the burden and the weight of following Christ and we can't do it. So what does Jesus say? What does Paul say to us about Jesus? Look at this. This is how he finishes this. Verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So we end where we begin. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put him on. You think about like, what's the purpose of clothing, right? There's a number of purposes. First of all, it protects us, right? It keeps us warm, protects us from getting uh, sunburned. It protects us from feeling embarrassed if we walked around outside naked. It protects us, right? You gotta put on clothes, right? Because it has a functional purpose, right? It also identifies us, right? We, we communicate something about who we are, what job we have, what gender we are, what role we have, what season it is because of what we're wearing. But then it also allows us to express ourselves, right? We're not all wearing uh, navy blue blazers at church on Sunday or white robes or we had a different experience. Because I can be me. I can express myself with what I wear. Now, now Jesus is not like, you know, hey, Jesus is for you because Jesus is for God. But Jesus, as he connects us to him, allows us some of these things, right? He protects us. He, he covers our sin, and he covers our shame. He clothes us not uh, uh, with sin, but with righteousness, right? When Adam and Eve um, sinned in the garden, what did God do? He shed the blood of an animal to, pre- to create a skin to cover their shame. And in the same way, Jesus shed his own blood to cover our shame. He helps us to be identified as a follower of the great and most high God, the Lion of Judah, the one who is and who was and who ever will be. When we say, I'm a follower of Jesus, we are identified with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so what does that mean? Then you, sister, are a princess, a daughter of the king. You, man, boy, are a prince, a son of the king, and then you have significance and dignity and power because of what God has done for you. And so you stand tall with significance. But then as we understand God, we we can express ourselves because he's uniquely gifted each one of us in, in, in different ways, right? Some are creative, some are administrative, some are organized, some are more free, some can play music, some can speak, some can serve behind the scenes, You can express yourself in the unique way that God has um, gifted you. You don't have to be someone else if you use your gifts the way God has called you to use your gifts. And what a wonderful thing. We're not all the same. We don't have the same views on all matters. We don't have the same personalities. But we're all together as part of God's family. See, the beginning of of, uh, chapter uh, 13, Paul began with this important teaching on how we can be good citizens, right? Obey the governing authorities, And then he talks about how we can be good neighbors in verse 8 through 10. But then he ends with why we should do this. Because we put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So I know you're already dressed for the day. But I want you to imagine putting on Jesus. Clothing yourself in righteousness. Because Jesus freely gave himself so that you could be clothed in righteousness. That your sin would be set free so that you would also use your gifts and your talents and your abilities to to serve him 
and to bless the world. Because when we do what God's told us to do, we're building the kingdom. We're making disciples who, who make disciples. We're changing the world in the same way that the church in Rome did that. We're not doing it with arrogance and saying we have everything figured out. But we do have the answer, and that's Jesus Christ. So here's the question for you. You've heard this question before, but what is God saying to you? What is God asking you to do in response to him giving himself to you? What's the thing that you can do this week that would obey him? You would take a step of faith, that you would wake up, that you would lean into his power and his presence. What's the risk that you would take for the kingdom of God today or this week? Will you do it? Say yes, somebody. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from Woodland Presbyterian Church, maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. Again, if you'd like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at woodlandpres.org. Thank you very much, and God bless you today.